Welcome to Beyond the Pen, the podcast that delves into the untold stories of emerging authors and the literary world. I'm your host, Maccabee Griffin, and each week I'll be shining a spotlight on talented yet undiscovered authors, giving them a platform to share their incredible stories and unique journeys that brought them to the world of writing. In each episode, we'll deep dive into the story behind the story, exploring the inspirations, challenges, and triumphs that have shaped our guests' literary careers, and have some fun along the way. From the initial spark of an idea to the journey of crafting and publishing their books, we'll uncover the secrets that make their stories truly special. But that's not all. Once a month, we'll be joined by an expert from the publishing world who will share invaluable insights and advice for aspiring writers, answering your burning questions, and demystifying the path to success in the literary industry. At Beyond the Pen, my mission is simple, to entertain, educate, and encourage the next generation of great storytellers. So whether you're a writer, an avid reader, or simply someone with a passion for storytelling, Join us as we venture beyond the pen and celebrate the power of the written word. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Maccabee Griffin. And I'm Marcella. And this is Beyond the Pen, where we take the well-known adage, read between the lines to a whole new level and beyond. Each week, we sit down with a new author to not only discuss one of their books, but also learn the story behind the story. Hey, Marcella. Hi, Mac. What? I'm just the... So happy to see you. Yeah, you're doing creepy again. That was not creepy. It was. It was whiny and creepy at the same time. How are you today? Very tired. I forgot we were doing Saturday. Until (laughs) early morning when I got up and I said, oh, damn, we have a podcast today. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But I like to make it interesting for you. But I can't, obviously, the reason why we're doing it is because we were you know, Thursday was Thanksgiving. And obviously because our next guest, even though she doesn't celebrate Thanksgiving, her being in England, uh, it's something that, you know, we like to at least try to do right. Okay. Okay. Maybe just me. All right. I I like Turkey. I can't help it. I, I, I like ham. I like the Turkey. I don't, I don't like Turkey. We made quesadillas. Why does that not surprise me though? with you what i know how much you like your quesadillas no you don't i've never talked about quesadillas before no now you did so now i know (laughs) (laughs) i gotta lead into it somehow you know this i gotta do so let me ask you this how much of the 18th century do you know about in regards to history and the style of reading and writing during that time none whatsoever oh really okay so this is going to be an education for you no actually i do but i figured i would say that i want the truth out of you come on well, i guess it depends because i've read lots of things written in that timeline that time frame um but they're all really different do you have a favorite 
1800s? Yes. Mary Shelley? Hmm. I should have known that answer already. H.G. Wells? Of course. So the reason why I was asking that or saying that is because our next guest uh, has taken a liking to that that same Mm -hmm. timeline, that same Mm -hmm. time frame. And she decided to follow another great author who had changed the world in terms of the way that they critique a uh, the females uh, female lifestyle during that time. Uh, and what I'm ta- I'm basically saying is, is that she decided to do a prequel to Jane Austen herself, and mm-hmm. says. Yes, and I, lo- I love the cover, by the way, too, for everybody else. It is by author by the name of Alice McVeigh, and she wrote a book called Susan, a Jane Austen prequel. And it is very much, well, let's just bring her up and we'll just get started into it, shall we? Of course. See, I do have some good ideas every once in a while. Hello, Alice. Hi, Hello. Alice. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Lovely, lovely to lovely to be here. Thank you for asking. See, I I love her voice even more. I just like you know the accent in general. Um, Alice, if you could please introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us something we can't find on the internet about you. Well, um, I'm kind of on the internet, so I'll think hard about that. Um, I've had a very strange life. I was born in Korea. And then I lived in Bangkok and Singapore and Myanmar uh, because my father was in the State Department. I was American. I'm still American. (laughs) I'm dual nationality. Um, Then I fell in love with a cello when I was 13 and decided I was going to be a famous cellist. The one I wanted to be was Jacqueline Dupre. Jacqueline Dupre was my number one heroine. She had golden hair. My hair, by the way, is brown, but I still have golden hair in her memory. Um, And she had golden hair and amazing technique and a fantastic sound. And I just wanted that sound. So I came to London after I'd studied in America uh, to study with Dupre. And unfortunately, um, she was then dying because she had uh, the worst form of MS that one can have, the only one that kills you. Um, so I was very disappointed, but at the same time, still, I wanted to come to London and I, she'd set me up and all of her pupils with her own cello teacher, who was then really old, I thought at the time, like he was my age now. Um, he was not really, really old, but I thought he was really, really old, but he was brilliant. And in some ways he was an even better teacher, people think, than Dupre. His name was William Pleath. And then I met my husband who is English and I got married and this was three over three decades ago and so I stayed in London and now people say as you've just said very kindly Maccabee that that I sound English but in fact the people who really know like English people go are you Canadian are you South African where are you from and in America people go oh you sound so English so it, it depends where I'm stuck in the middle of the ocean really um, there's still some American in me, and there's still some American in my accent. And I'm also very proud of my American heritage. My grandfather was chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. So basically, I'm I'm very proud of being American, but I'm also I'm also British. So that I'm divided. 
Oh, I haven't told you anything you can't find on the internet. <laughs> what, can't, what can't you find on the internet? Okay, I'll tell you something you can't find on the internet. In a moment when my cello career wasn't going very well and my writing career wasn't going very well, at that point I had this crazy idea that because I was good at the cello, I could play the violin. And so I had lessons on the violin. I was terrible at the violin. I'm awful at the violin. So nobody knows that. It's not on the internet. So Well, now it is. Now it is. Now it is. <laughs> well, thank you for that because it's it does give us an insight into your love for the classics. And here's here's the thing about this that I really enjoyed is that it does definitely hit on a lot of the things that Jane Austen was very well known for, and that was critiquing society in general for the high society as well as just society in general. So one of the things I want to start out with is why the prequel to a to Jane Austen? Two reasons. One, I am a believer that people can change. Um, one of the few rotten reviews that this Susan a Jane Austen prequel has received is our, well, there are two, I think, um, you know, one star reviews. And both of them said, how could such a sweet, charming, delightful, exciting, but, you know, um, manipulative 16-year-old develop into Lady Susan, who is so horrible in Jane Austen's book, Lady Susan, and try to marry her, her own daughter off to a, a man she hated and broke up a marriage just for the fun of it because she was so pretty, everybody wanted her. So in other words, we're not talking, you know, an admirable person here in Lady Susan, but I believe, I believe that she was corrupted by London and at the time, London at the time was very corrupt. And I imagined her as, as a 16 year old, she was mischievous, but she wasn't wicked. And that's what I imagined. And I always liked the character. I liked her sense of humor, which is very Jane Austen-esque, which is super dry sense of humor. So that's where you get this these little things in Pride and Prejudice that everybody quotes. But um, anyway, I just thought, what would Lady Susan portray, in case you haven't read it, most people haven't read it, uh, as a 35-year-old, still gorgeous, manipulative, seductive, evil woman what would she have been like before all that happened to her when she was only sweet 16 and just a little bit mischievous and that's what i did and i fancied writing it so i wrote it well we're glad that you wrote it you know. i just like your style already so oh you're very kind that means a lot to me marcella and that's saying something too it really is because marcella is very particulate when it comes to i'm a hard sell yeah very hard sell very hard sell um but it's good that's why that's another reason why i have her on here is because she she pretty much keeps me in line and she will tell me whether or not somebody is worthy of even having a conversation with um do i always listen no uh but i have also brought some people to her that she's actually really appreciated as well this is actually really progressive mm. a lot of people wouldn't um a lot of people won't. I want to know who gave you those reviews. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm actually going to, I'm looking forward to reading it because I, what do I have over there? I'm going to leave it alone. I have a ton of books and I probably have a bunch of Austin books on my shelf, but I won't say which ones. Um, so now 
because you've already answered like some of my questions of why you wrote it. And yeah, she did. She, <laughs> she was preemptive. Um, okay. So now that you've written this and, and you've decided um, this is what she was like, and how would you feel if someone else wrote something similar? And uh, like my kids would say, they retconned what you did. In other words, they, they pretty much, everything you've written was just maybe fantasy. People will say, oh, well, you know, it's not canon. So how would that, how would that make you feel? Um, I wouldn't be too worried because mine was out there first. <laughs> I'll, I'll, tell, I'll tell you this. I'm really, I, I think there are, well, it's already been, it's already been plagiarized. It's already been, it's already been, um, it's already been offered without offering me any money on various websites. And this happens to every successful fiction author. They get copied and it's pointless telling them, you just copied my book and I'm not getting anything for it. I'm going to take you to court. Well, you're not going to take me to court. These people are in Timbuktu. They are in the Philippines. They are in, in the darkest part of China and they are not, repeat, not suable by you. So you just have to swallow and you just have to think, you know, people, also, my, my style of writing, I hate to brag, but my style of writing is unusually similar to Jane Austen's. Everybody um, has said in the reviews, the important reviews, that it is so similar that they can sometimes not tell the difference. That makes my heart beat so fast, because as far as I'm concerned, the person I'm writing for is Jane Austen. I, I believe in life after death. I believe I'm going to meet Jane Austen. And I hope, hope, hope that she's going to say, you were the only one that sounded like me. You were the only one that really, really got into my characters. You were the one. This is my dream. And that is a wonderful dream. That is an amazing dream. Because I can, I can attest to that. Uh, it is very, very, very close to that. And the fact is, is that it, it is a style that is is not very well known in terms of how to really, I don't want to say copy, but continue on. And for, unless you're a real Jane Austen fan, many people wouldn't even know that. And I didn't know this until today that Lady Susan was an unfinished novel of hers. It's a novella. She was still working on it. Yeah, she was working on the novella but it was unfinished because she had passed away at that time prior to it actually being put out. It was out never there. published in her lifetime. And no, it was, it was. It was and that's such a shame because it is yeah. in its way a mini masterpiece, but it's also not as good as some of, as her more mature works because mm -hmm. she started it earlier and, and the more mature works, they, they have got everything in it. So I would just have so loved her to have come back to it before she died and to have made it what it could have been. And um, I think there was so much more to come with her. But she died very young. Like like my cello teacher, uh, Jacqueline Dupre, she died in her early 40s. And when you think about that, it's so young. That's terrifyingly young these days. Yeah, that's very terrifyingly. So let's do this. Let's go, let's talk about Susan. Okay. Because let, let's talk about the younger version of Susan. Um, since we're here, anyway. it's not Jane Austen, but only me. This is exactly, yeah, yeah. Your, your version, your version of Susan. Let's yeah. put it that way. Uh, yeah, so we are introduced to Susan, she is being dismissed from school, and 
main reason why is uh, there's a little bit of a scandal, according to the um, head, the head of the school. That's right. Yes, the headmistress, uh, because of her involvement with a, of course, music teacher. Um, but I really think it's interesting the fact that it's his word over hers. Yes, exactly. That really makes it more of the scandal. Um, because honestly, this guy, I, I'm just going to be playing with the guy's a dick. He's an absolute dick. Um, no, I'm serious. When you oh, yeah. get introduced to Mr. Uh, McGinney, uh, yeah. he is very much, he, he uses his knowledge and position to he's probably what in his what 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 age do you think he's I, I imagined him in his 40s but but nobody knows he is a real yes. character he's a real character in london at the time and i've been yes. incredibly lucky because my husband is an expert on music in london at the time so not only has he helped me with my cello playing in, in terms of the period style but he's helped me with my writing he said no, Magini would have been around then, and and then so and so would have been around then, and and he's just been amazing. So so I'm really lucky. Yeah, well, Magini in this phase yeah. is he's he's a, a I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm not the only one. I am not the only one that thinks that. Also, he framed her. He framed her. In other words, yes. he used advantage of her during the lesson, and then he says, "Oh dear me, this this you know she's she imposed herself upon me," and she was furious. Yeah, well, I can definitely see that as there's a lot of different things that you're hitting on yeah. within this story, specifically uh, critiquing in a way that's almost modern as yeah. as it was with uh, Jane Austen. And every creator has some type of specific character that they either relate to most when they're creating them or that they have. I know, I know that develops later it's on my question oh my god no 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 well here no you can ask that question here but i want to ask the specific question to this okay susan for you is put into a position a certain position of this is the scandal in itself mm. have you ever been in that same situation as she was where a uh person of power position of in the music world has ever tried to force their way upon you in a way that has made you un obviously um very uh what's the word i want to say unwilling and you just and they've just like almost scandalized your entire career because of that i don't think there are very many musicians female musicians who haven't been put in that position at some point and I have. It wasn't at that point in my life, but I have been put in that position, yes. And um, and I think it's very, very common. I think that the thing about music in particular is that men tend to pull the strings. I mean, how many famous, um, you know, conductors are women? My favorite is Marin Alsop, by the way. Um, but there there are some, and there are more, but, but I still think that to be a female conductor takes a huge amount of luck as well as as well as balls and determination and genius. And whereas, you know, you know, even in, well, the first book I ever wrote, um, which is published by a very major 
um, publisher, Hatchet, um, was called While the Music Lasts. You can buy it on my website. You can't buy it anywhere else at the moment because it's out of print. But um, but it's it's basically it was it was it was marketed as the secret life of an orchestra. And what you just said just now relates to that book. It doesn't relate to my current work, but it relates mm. back then, 20 years ago. And well, there was there was always a lot of that. But it, to be honest with you, I don't want to be sexist about it. There were also women who were in huge positions of power. They also manipulated people. I don't think that, you know, it's always men oppressing women. Uh, it often is men oppressing women, but it isn't always. I've known some men oppressed by women. <laughs> and I, 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 I just think in, in my own life, I try to take people as they are and to sort of separate them from the sort of um, the kind of uh uh stereotype well the reason why i was asking that is because it felt very real in in terms of because of the fact that again we are presenting it in a way that or should say the way that you presented it it was very close to home again you being a cello uh, celloist yourself and being someone that's been in many positions of uh being having the opportunity to play in orchestras and the things of that nature you know and you're right there there is a lot of musicians men and women who have been manipulated in multiple ways uh or have manipulated people to get where they want to get to um but it, it felt very very personal when i was stating that when i was reading that it also no one else has ever said that. I think that's very intuitive of you. No one else has ever said that, either in a review or personally. Um, I don't consider myself to be a Susan because she's too audacious. She's literally afraid of nothing. And that's the way Jane Austen portrayed her. And that's the way I imagined her only to a lesser degree when she was younger. Because after all, there were 20 years between I portrayed her at 16 and she was mm-hmm. 35 in Austen. But nobody else has ever said, that's so interesting. I need to think about it. Well, I'm glad that I brought brought a thought to your mind to that I'm different from, from other people with that because yeah. I appreciate that. Because here, here's the here's the thing, because when you continue through the, the novel itself, you will realize as a reader that this is something that really has continued through the entire, uh, through the entire novella itself even into Jane Austen's version of Lady Susan. Um, because when we're looking also at her family, you also, you've created some characters that are very unusual in certain points. And, you know, some people may not think of them as this, but for me, Mrs. Cooper is one of the coolest women in this. <laughs> Because of the fact that she is very, she's a Marcella to me, honestly. Yeah. She's very Marcella to me in the terms of she is. She's not afraid very, of anybody. No, she is not. Not by a long shot. Even her own family. She was, she's pointed to the point, and I love this. The, the second the second scene where uh, she, or the first time that we meet her, she brings uh, Susan and her aunt uh, into her home, you know, entertaining. She's got her nephew there and stuff of that nature. But when Mrs. Cooper looks at what Susan's wearing, which mind you, she, yes, she is poor, but she's not so poor enough to wear. No, no. no she's middle class. Right. 
but it's the one that Susan's like, there's no one going to be there. I'm not going to wear my best, yeah. you know. But when she does go in there like that, Mrs. Cooper's like, oh, no, sweetie, we have to we have to fix this. And I'm going to pay for it. Yeah. And it's the point where her her nephew's like, why would you spend money on her? She's not even yeah. family kind of thing. But I love I, I love the line that you stated with her. Am I not the mistress of my own money? And to me, I'm like, dude, she just basically just told you off. Just, <laughs> dude, just shut up. Um, yes, it's true. It's absolutely true. She just puts the she puts the line down. And, and I think I think I did take a line through my own grandmother on that one. I, I was about it. to say because there there's a lot of a a, a form of yeah. Grandmotherly love or motherly love of someone that she didn't, yeah. someone who didn't have a daughter per se. Um, yeah. And she felt very, she's very protective of Susan in a way. Yes, I agree with what, that. She is. What was it about her that you felt was something that needed to be uh, presented in the form of, I'm going to be the, you know, the maternal uh, grandparent here for you in a time where that wasn't really very well known no, or even presented. It was very uncommon. I think Susan's beauty was the key here. And I regret to say that I think beauty often is. Um, Susan was so spectacularly beautiful that she not only caught the fancy of the uh, friend of the family, she was no more than a friend of the family, really, Mrs. Cooper, um, but she was rich and she was determined to show Susan off and to give her her chance. And she rebuked the mother for not doing that. You know, you're not showing her off. Pro Sorry, not the mother, the mother was dead. The, the aunt for not showing her off. But the other person and the most important person that Susan's beauty captured was Lady Catherine, Lady Catherine de Bourgh from Pride and Prejudice. And she basically, I pictured Catherine, Lady Catherine de Bourgh as being a little bit pissed off because she basically had lost her daughter. Her daughter had wandered off to Rome. She got married and she was without her daughter. She was without uh, anything to sort of push. And she met this young girl who was very, very distantly connected to the family. And she thought, oh, she's attractive. I will take her under my wing and I'll make something of her. And not knowing that Susan was about as prickly as a hedgehog and um, not going to be taken advantage of by anybody. So in other words, but as so often in life, I think, um, my daughter is very beautiful. I never was. Um, I think that if, if you are beautiful, it opens doors. And I'm afraid to say it still opens doors now, even as it did two centuries ago, but even more so two centuries ago, because now there's so many more people and you can do more stuff with makeup. But in those days, it was all out there. And so basically we had a girl who was outstandingly beautiful, who attracted the attention pretty much of everybody. And it was how she manipulated them, which makes the book work, because for a 16 year old, she is pretty advanced and how to manipulate women as well as men. <laughs> Manipulating men may come naturally, but women, not so much. So I think right. she's an amazing character. And as I say, I just, bar I just borrowed her. Jane Austen made her at 35, but I think she made her too unsympathetic because at 35, when she was basically robbing a man of his, uh, uh, a woman of her, husband that just that just crosses too many lines and a lot of people won't even read lady susan even though it's brilliant for that reason and i imagined her not yet corrupt but mischievous and i think that works better and i honestly think jane austen would feel the same 
um, were she with us now. But at the time when she wrote it, she was a teenager. And she's such a precocious teenager. It just scares you, precocious. So why do you think that she she would agree with you? Do you think... I'm, oh, I'm just going to ask this. Go for um, it. Do you think that you might be reincarnated or the reincarnated version in my dreams <laughs> why not i mean when i when i am very lucky in that I, I happen to already write well but when i came to this country i didn't really think about jane austen i fell for it after i fell for england i i fell for an englishman i i lived in kent which is part of where where pride and prejudice is set mm-hmm. these stately and i just fell for it like a clunk and i could quote most of jane austen by heart so i think it's just pure love really it's nothing to, i don't believe in reincarnation i'm a christian i but i i, I just feel it's a, it's like a, something i honor and i i honor her and i put what i do at her feet I, I think this is so amazing, honestly. I, um, the fact is, is that there are so many things that are very close to what Jane Austen did, and you are doing a wonderful job with that. Because it, even someone who hasn't really read a lot of Jane Austen, um, it's still the thought process behind it is that, you know, there are so many things with these characters that are... Austin-esque. Even if they're yeah, Austin-esque. Exactly. thank you. They're very yeah. Austin-esque. That is, that, is, that is my goal. And I yeah. think that, that really is what you're trying to say, and it means a lot to me. I mean, it really, really does. In fact, what Marcella said also means a lot to me. I mean, I just think people, people sometimes say to me, why don't you do another original book? You wrote these two original novels. They were really good, all about orchestral life and all the incestuous love affairs and, and rivalries in an orchestra. And I'm going, I've been there, done that. I'm, I'm doing something else now. I'm immersing myself in a different language. And and it and because of Jane Austen, there's this huge emotional tie. And I just feel that oh, some people do it because it does make, it can make money, especially if you write one about Pride and Prejudice. They sail off the shelves. But I'm not doing it for the money. A, I don't need money. We have a second home in Crete. Uh, but but mostly because I think that 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 devalues my favorite writer, the person that I esteem the most. I mean, at least every year or two, I go to Winchester Cathedral and I put flowers on her grave. And I'll tell you something really amazing. I've never been the only person doing that. There have always been flowers on her grave. That's how much she means to people. She is that amazing. It's not only Alice, it's so many people. And that's what I think is so phenomenal and so exciting and so modern and so she still speaks to people you know even now (laughs) anyway so what's next i mean are you going to prequel any more of austin's books i regret to say i've given into pressure and i'm writing a pride and prejudice variation (laughs) this one at least my favorite (laughs) pretty amazingly because one of the things which frustrates me is that for a lot of uh, fans pride and prejudice is austin it's actually more famous than Austin. It gets more right. likes. You put in Google Pride and Prejudice, it gets more likes than Austin, which is outrageous. But I have given in because I a I think there's I do have something to say, uh, which no one else has yet said. Um, and B I want to do it, and uh, I plan a six book series, but 
um, this will be number three only. But I've been really put back because my husband, as I mentioned, is a musicologist and we edit each other's books. And his book, which is about concert life in London, 1900 to 1914, the start of World War I, I've had to do a lot of work on recently. So it's really put me back. But it's going to be an amazing book. Boydell and Brewer are publishing it and it's going to be an amazing book. That's I'm very nice happy. to hear. Well, we're proud of you. I, I love this. Um, I have a it's it's a tie between uh, Sense and Sensibility and Pride and Prejudice. Those are my two favorites. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and and so, you know, most people wouldn't know that about me. So they're hearing this and like, wait a minute, those are not horror movies, horror stories. <laughs> I, I was thinking that she actually was going to have the the one that's Pride and Prejudice with zombies in it. It's um, on my shelf, too. Don't worry. See, I knew that I was. Love, I love it. A lot of people love it. But prior to getting that book, Mac, I did read um, the original. There's mm. a lot of things you don't know about me still. So we'll just well, leave yeah, that there that. today. But um, are you good, Mac? I, I had one more question real quick because I, I think that there's a lot of different things that um, even at the point where I, I, I normally stop for uh, just the interviews, and, and I usually normally read the first three to five chapters, depending on how long they are. But um, a lot of things were going on this week, so I didn't have a lot of time to really get to the point where I wanted to, which was a lot further. But yeah. there was one point that I thought was a really good cliffhanger for everybody else, and that was is that when you talk about her parents. You know, we, you've already explained that, you know, her parents are gone um, and they were very poor. But the main reason was because her father, I want to try to use this word right again, um, was very profligate. Correct? Yeah. Is that how you, okay. He was profligate, definitely. We profligate. pronounce it in Britain. Yeah. Yeah. Profligate, um, which means that he was basically a spender. He, he was a gambler. He gambled all his he, money. He was a gambler, yes. Um, <laughs> And because of this, he put his family in debt and also lost his life in a duel because of the fact he wouldn't pay. But it was one of the questions that Susan really expressed was, is that what would have my life would have been if he actually would have been around and he didn't do this? Um, or if he had done it and he was still around, you know, would I have been in a better position or what? Because, and I want I want to ask you on that one theoretically, because again, you never write it out, and it's never really in the book. Is what would have their life been if he actually had not been a gambler and he had lived the normal life? What would she? Where do you think she would have been at at this point? I think in some ways she was fortunate that he didn't live. He was very like her. She was very like him. She was a gambler. She's always been a gambler. That's what she does. She gambles on men. She gambles on money. And she wound up winning, of course, in Lady Susan most of the time. Um, not all of the time. Um, and in my book, she wins all of the time. <laughs> because what she's doing is much more selfless. She's doing it for her cousin. Um, so I think she had a great affinity with her father. And, and she expresses this in the book. Um, but she never met him. She, he, You know, he, he died before when she was one. So basically, um, what I feel is, I think that, I think her life would have been less interesting, but more stable. 
even though he gambled, he, there would have been a father in her life. She wouldn't have been tossed from uncle to uncle and she wouldn't have been sent to boarding school. So it's a really interesting question. And to be honest, I'd never even thought about it before. I'd never even thought about what her life would have been like had he lived. Because in my brain, he was gone already from the very beginning. And you see, one of the reasons why authors do this were, were shameless. Look at Harry Potter. I mean, would it have been so interesting if his parents had been around? No, it's because he was an orphan. You know what I mean? And if you ever read Empire of the Sun, which I read recently for my book club, that is the most amazing book. And, and it won the Booker Prize. And it's all about this young guy, basically thrown out on the streets of Shanghai in the middle of World War II, no parents. Now, I recently read his parents were alive. They got, they got shoved into prison together. But it didn't make such a good book. So when he rewrote it, he rewrote it so his parents were not there. Parents are a pain in fiction. So basically, you want to get rid of them. So, <laughs> so in other words, that's why I did it. But I've never once thought in all of my life, what would her life have been like had her father not died in the duel? And I, I appreciate you for bringing that to me because I never thought of it before. Well, I'm glad I can ask these questions to make you really rethink. Um, it's it's my goal to do that. Well, here's the thing. I, I am always one that really looks at stories and saying, okay, I understand we're going this way. Even if it's a, a story that's really uh, a happy one and everything's going well with them. I, for some reason, always think like, what would happen if this position, this point in the story went the opposite direction? And it's very interesting to think of it that way, because to me, when an author can look at both sides of that and really utilize the idea of like, OK, yes, they're having a happy life. Everything's going well. They are the standalone characters that can make and make an amazing world. But what if and like you said, with L Lady Susan, yeah. she was a villainous. She yes, literally she grew up into a villainous. So it's the idea of seeing what you're doing literally that for, you know, Jane Austen. Jane Austen already said she was a villainous, but you're like, what if she didn't have that life? Where, where, you know, I'm going to that point in her life where. What I'm saying was, what if she didn't get corrupted in between right. my novel, the prequel and Lady Susan, and they're 20 years in between. That's a long time, a long time. That a lot of things can happen to a woman and well, a man can happen to anybody. 20 years is such a long time. And so I it think the fun. people who've, who've criticized it for, oh, it's not properly Lady Susan because she's too nice. Well, A, she's not that nice. I mean, she did burn, she did, she did uh, trash Frank Churchill. And B, she, even though she was lovely to her cousin and arranged all kinds of, you know, of, of, of fantastically generous things, but there's still a generous side to Lady Susan herself, I believe. And I also, I, I passionately believe that nobody is all bad and all white. I think, oh, sorry, excuse me, all bad or all good. Um, I just think, you know, black and white and good and bad, nobody's all of that. We're not meant to be. We're all works in progress. And you see, what I believe passionately and in in everything I write is that there are no perfect people and there are no complete villains. And I honestly believe, and this is very cheeky, but I'm going to say it anyway. I honestly believe that Jane Austen agrees with me. And that if she was to write Lady Susan, not at 17, but at 27 or 37, she died at 42, it would have been a different, it would have had more gray. It would have had more nuance. It would not have been so black and white. I'm putting that out there and I'm going to be shot down. But I'm, I'm putting it in.
Oh, that's an interesting take on it. But um, I'm looking forward to our next interview, Alice. Oh, thank you. You're very kind. Um, I do have a couple of questions for you. This is what we call, Mac likes to call it my rapid fire round. I, they're just quick questions. What is your writing kryptonite? Uh, I think it's the cello. No, That's a new one. That is definitely a new one. <laughs> no, I mean, we have I really... never had an actual instrument be as a weakness. Two weeks ago, I played the Elgar Cello Concerto with my local orchestra. I had the best time. But before then, because I'm not as young as I was, I had to practice three three hours a day. I'm not used to practicing three hours a day. It was kryptonite. I kept getting shoved out of my, my writing zone to practice the cello. No, I adore the cello. The cello is my first love. But... It was it was sort of death on wheels for the book I've been writing. So there you go, the cello. That is a first. Um, okay, next question. Last question: Is there a famous quote um, or saying something that you subscribe to that helps you to keep going and doing what you're doing? Hmm. I've got a book which I've written ever since I was a little girl of famous quotations that I love. And there are now about six volumes of these. Um, I'm trying to think of just one. You see, I had a deprived childhood. We had no TV in Asia. Um, so all we did was read, my sister and me. But I'm trying to think of just one. And it's difficult because even Jane Austen doesn't supply just one that just lights my fire. I think, again, I'm gonna fall back on music and to say that when I, really need something to keep going. I'll tell you who I fall back on is Bach. Now, a lot of people don't know this, but Bach was a Christian. And at the end of every piece he ever wrote, he said, thanks be to the glory of God. And everything he ever wrote to me is perfect. He's the only composer that never composed a, a duff piece. Even Mozart, when he was young, and I was in Vienna last week, wrote some pretty rubbish pieces when he was really young. But Bach never did anything that was less than just inspired and so for me i would just say to that i would just i would echo bach that's a good answer it's new too that's a very good yeah okay Amy? well yeah. <laughs> alice thank you for being on the show we really appreciate it so, thank you this is the point where we give you the uh the shameless self-promotion tell us where we can find you where if you have any events coming up any concerts you're going to be a part of the floor is yours um i started out writing contemporary fiction um with a major publisher i've now recovered the copyright to those because of course they went out of copyright after 10 years um you can read my book about orchestral life only on my website uh .com. that's v-e-i-g-h um Otherwise, my Jane Austen S books are exclusive to Amazon. I'm on Twitter. I'm on TikTok, especially TikTok. I like Instagram, I'm on Facebook, and I love to connect with people. So please feel free to connect with me because that just is, that just makes my day. Speaking to people just makes my day. So think about it. Alice, thank you again. We really appreciate it. Yeah, all the best. Thanks, Michael. All right, Marcella, I think I already know your thoughts on her because, again, she's 
talking about something that you actually enjoy um, in regards to very strong women, Jane Austen in general, and, you know, everything else about her. So what do you think? Why do you always think you know what I'm going to say? You've never been right. <laughs> I have been right a few times. I'd like you to name one. But um, that you're I, a great co-host. And that people still come for you and not me. Well, that is true. That's not your Steve. opinion. Anyway, um, <laughs> I I think Alice is, is great, first of all. Second, um, I love people who take the initiative to write prequels for books that they did not write. I have I have lots of books like that. And I did never think that I would um, meet somebody like Alice, who, who I, I think she embodies Austin in general. So I'm going to leave that there and you can do your thing. Well, I, I would agree with you on that one. Again, it, it's definitely in the same style. It's, it's like Jane Austen was writing through someone else. Yeah. Um, because again, the, the wording is very much 18th century. The flow is very much the same style. And again, like you said, the fact that she had the, cojones uh to do a prequel to someone who, who is so well known says something about her courageousness and her creativity as well and her passion obviously we heard her passion about how much she really enjoys jane austen um the fact that she still continues to go to her grave every year to put flowers down i mean that how many other authors do you know who do the same thing for authors that they truly enjoy. There's very few and far between that we are privileged enough to know about. So for me, honestly, I thought it was really good. Um, it's, I will be honest, is not my uh, normal cup of tea, but it is also still something that I actually enjoyed once I got past the language because there were multiple themes in the architecture itself with the powerful women, the men that were using their uh, positions of power, um, the relationships between her and Alice, the family, the ideas, everything that comes with it. And it made me really just think about it a little bit more. Plus, it actually helps me with my my uh, vocabulary because there was a lot of words. And I will admit this with that I had to look up because I never heard them before. And again, it's just because it's a different style of writing. It's a very uh, literary style that 18th century literary style that is not very well known. So for me, I really enjoyed the challenge to learn the language and understand how to read it properly, but also the creativity behind it. And again, taking someone's character that's been around for hundreds of years and having the ability to revamp her, give her a point of what if she was like this? Where was the point where she actually did turn? How she grew into what she was at that point? And like she said, not everybody is black and white. Not everybody is completely good or evil. There's always little bits of gray in there. And like she said, if Jane Austen was still around and she started at a younger age, I'm pretty sure that Lady Susan would have been a little bit different. So 
I recommend go out there, find Susan, a Jane Austen prequel, get it for yourself, and continue to go through the series. In fact, go back and read Pride and Prejudice. Read all of these Jane Austen great novellas, because there are a lot. I think she had 12? I can't remember the actual number, but there was a lot of them. Let's just put it that way. There's a lot of major books that she had. So I'm going to leave it at that. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you again for being here. We really appreciate it. Please continue to follow us on our social media links. Uh, go to beyondthepenpodcast.com to find everything about me and Marcella and our social media links are there as well. And of course, go visit uh, Alice's website, she put it out there, and it'll also be on her bio on our website. Again, go to Traverse TV. You will be able to see a lot of the videos that we're going to be putting up again for the second season. Tell us about what you think about it. Leave reviews. Share these great stories, these passionate stories with everybody who know that loves books and all those things right there. So, again, we love you. Thank you very much for listening to us. And as I always say, keep writing, keep inspiring, and keep sharing as you go beyond the pen. All right, you. It's very sweet. Very mellow. Well, you already said that, so you got to give us something different. There was not much more I could say about it. I look forward to reading the book. You love just throwing that back in my face, don't you? I should have a book to hold up to show everybody. You mean this one? Wow. Thanks. You mean the one that's right in front of me? Yeah. You mean the one that's signed by her from you? Oh, that book. <laughs> You're going to delete that. No, I'm not. I'm going to keep it in. I'm going to keep this entire punch. thing. In. I, so why do you not threaten me with a throat punch here and there? I'll tell Come you what. Now. For this, you're going to trip and fall soon. And then when it happens, you're going to say, oh. She cursed me. The live curse. I got it. This is going yeah. to be a great one. Yeah. <laughs> this is probably going to be the same thing. Today's curse is this. I'm like, oh, goody, goody, goody. More curses from Marcella. Hmm. Anyway, I liked it. I thought it was cute. Uh, I know that uh, when, I re- when I read it to my son, he likes it mm-hmm. um, when he pays attention. Um, <laughs> it's a thing. Autistic children are a totally different thing. Oh, I would um, so think about that. Oh, yeah. You would have no clue what the heck I'm talking about. None nah. whatsoever. Anyways, no, I, it was a really good book. It honestly was. Uh, it flowed well. <laughs> it told a great story. It gave a lot of great lessons in empathy and confidence in problem solving and a lot. And it, like, like I said before, the illustration is uh, very bright. It's very, uh, very colorful. And it does give you a sense of the world of Trinidad instead of, you know, the Arctic world that most people think when they think of penguins. I didn't know there was penguins in Trinidad. I did not know, or Cape Town, excuse me. I didn't know that. So now I learned something today. Good for so, you. I know. Yay. Gold star for me. Yeah. I get a cookie. Yay. Cookies. I don't think you need oh. that cookie. 
see what she does to me. She wants to give me a cookie, then she takes them directly away from me. It's That's what big so sisters mean. do. Yeah, you're a pain in the neck, too. Anyway, tell you. everybody where to find us, Mac. Well, because you said that, they can find us at beyondthepenpodcast.com. They can find us on Twitter at pod, Beyond the Pen Pod. They can find us on Instagram at Beyond the Pen Podcast, as well as on Facebook. Facebook. And, yeah, we got two accounts on there. Now we have the fan page and the actual uh, one for Beyond Woo. the Pen. I know we're going all over the place. And the greatest one of all, you can find us on Traverse TV. You can find Yay. it on Google Play. You can find it on Amazon Fire. You can find it on Roku. And next year, you can find it on Apple TV as well as uh, iTunes, the videos on iTunes. And this is a great thing. On Roku, you can find our first season playing live in terms of the live streaming that they do with the broadcasting, yep. live broadcasting. Yep. You can find it. Wednesday at 6 p.m. and on Saturday mornings at 8 a.m. So if you're always trying to find the great uh, books that we've been able to really enjoy, or I should say I have really enjoyed. Wow, you're such a jerk. I know. It's crazy. I love it. Uh, You can find us on that. And please contact us. We love hearing... uh, what you think about us, what you think about Marcel and Hermina's to me, um, our authors, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We're on over 45 different platforms. This platform specifically that you're listening to us on every week on Tuesdays at 5 a.m. Eastern Standard Time with a new author, a new book, and some more pain in the neck bickering between me and Marcella. So, as I always say, thank you for being here with us. We love you. Keep writing, keep inspiring, and keep sharing as you go beyond the pen. Hey folks, that's a wrap for this episode of Beyond the Pen. We hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed creating it. If you'd like to stay connected and up to date with everything Beyond the Pen, follow us on Twitter at Beyond the Pen Pod and Instagram at Beyond the Pen Podcast. For even more content and exclusive access to our guest profiles and more, make sure to visit our website at beyondthepenpodcast.com. Don't forget to join our Facebook fan page to interact with our favorite authors and fellow fans of the show. And if you want to take your Beyond the Pen experience to the next level, check out our selection of video interviews on Traverse TV's video on demand and live stream. You can access these interviews through your Roku, Amazon Fire, Apple TV, Google Play, iTunes, or the Traverse TV app. So until next time, thanks again for tuning in and remember to keep writing inspiring and sharing as you go beyond the pen.